This is the Lindell Report, bringing you news combined with hope by offering practical and achievable action points to assist you in defending and preserving faith and freedoms. And now, here is your host, Mike Lindell. Good evening. Welcome to the broadcast. Glad you are with us. I'm going to be joined tonight by Sean Smith. Sean was on my broadcast with me last night, but we just scratched the surface. There's so much more to get to in relation to his declaration in the lawsuit, or in the injunction, I should say, in Arizona. The injunction is to stop the machines, to get rid of these machines that even the federal government is now admitting, is now admitting, can flip votes can be compromised. Mike Lindell is your host of the Lindell Report. He's out on business tonight and I'm sitting in for Mike Lindell. Before we go to Sean, let me remind you that we are a listener supported broadcast. We are here every day, 24 hours a day. Even on the weekends, we have to have a team of people in the control room to keep the programming going. It's seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year costs a lot of money to do what we're doing, and that's why a lot of people don't do it, and many of them that do, don't do it well. One of the things we have prided ourselves here at Lindell TV with is doing it with excellence, and I think you'll have to agree that our production value, uh, well, it was pretty good from the beginning, but it really continued to increase to the level we are today. And again, that takes a lot of equipment and an awful lot of money and a lot of staff. Also, our streaming bill is outrageous. If you appreciate what we're doing, it's vital that we have your support and we appreciate your support by going to MyPillow.com and using that promo code L77. Save up to 66% on your purchases when you use that promo code. And a generous portion of each purchase comes back to keep this network going, pay the bandwidth bill so we can keep giving you free listener-sponsored programming. You know, many companies put their content behind a paywall. And unless you pay, you don't see it. Well, we believe that what is going on in our country and nation and world is so important and so vital. We need as many people as possible to hear it. So please support us, won't you, by going to MyPillow.com and using that promo code L77. Well, joining me now is Colonel Sean Smith. Notice I said Colonel. He retired as a full Colonel. If you saw last night's broadcast, we are not going to endeavor to repeat what we covered last night because there's so much more here. But just so you know, he is a retired military officer. He uh, has a master's degree in national security affairs from the Naval Postgraduate School and in aeronautical science from the Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and has held top security clearances since 1992. He even worked right next to uh, the uh, nearby, the office of the Secretary of Defense in the Pentagon. His background is quite impressive, but for the sake of time, we won't go through it tonight. Suffice to say, he is more than qualified to speak on this issue. Colonel Sean, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Brandon. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm glad it's Friday. These weeks get long, don't they? Yeah, they don't really end, do they? You just keep on working right through the weekend. Yes, you do. Well, the thing is, I maybe won't be on the air other than Sunday night unless there's breaking news, but you're right. I will work through the weekend because there's all the things that need to be done that we have not gotten done because we were on the air. But nonetheless, we're fighting to reclaim the country and uh, 
keep ourselves free. Well, I want to, why don't you maybe give a recap of what we discussed last night, because this is what we discussed right here. But then we have what is here, and this is the appendix. And there's an awful lot in the appendix. I'm not sure we'll get through all of it here or not, but maybe give a recap of what we covered on my show last night in these documents, and then we'll go through the appendix here tonight on the Lindell Report. So I think we talked uh, a little bit about the general premise that if you have computers that are manufactured overseas, particularly in the People's Republic of China, with no supply chain security, with no U.S. government or agency oversight without really oversight from contractors, if you are buying that technology or using those computers for critical functions, you're just asking for trouble, right? They have a, they have a massive nation-state decades-long campaign and enterprise to infiltrate and compromise U.S. technology and Western technology, in particular U.S. computer systems, and they make most of our computers. So, so we've seen everybody compromised from you know, Fortune 500 companies to defense technology and defense companies and contractors to our national security enterprises to literally the very uh, administration, the Cybersecurity Information Security uh, Administration, CISA, that is responsible to safeguard U.S. critical infrastructure, including voting systems, since 2017. So the very people who are supposed to be safeguarding U.S. elections were penetrated and compromised through a supply chain attack that they never detected themselves. It went on for 10 months in their own networks, and they never detected it. The private industry had to tell them about it. Well, there's no private industry looking at our voting systems. The first time we get any kind of uh, independent cybersecurity professionals looking at our voting systems, they immediately start finding vulnerabilities, non-compliance with the voting system standards. I mean, it's a mess. It's everything we were afraid of. So, so that's the gist of it is that, you know, our computer systems in our voting systems are primarily assembled and manufactured overseas of overseas components and mostly in the People's Republic of China. And, and you can't trust any of them for that reason. The, the, you know, the efforts to compromise U.S. systems are persistent and widespread. Wow. It's so widespread that most companies have been directly affected by supply chain attacks. And it just gets worse every year because, of course, it's extraordinarily lucrative and uh, beneficial for those countries. So wow. that's the gist of it. That's the gist of it. All right, folks, if you go to frankspeech.com, frankspeech.com, then click on this, injunctions to terminate the machines. Injunctions, let's see, here's player one. Here's player two, right below player two as of today. Injunctions to terminate the machines. Click on that. This brings you up all the declarations in this case, which is um, Carrie Lake, she's the plaintiff, she's the gubernatorial candidate in Arizona, versus Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs, of course, is the Secretary of State in Arizona. And for this particular uh, case, these are all your declarations. Now, I've already got Colonel Mills, where his declaration is right there, booked to come on next week to go through his declaration. We'll be working and in interviewing all of these people to go through theirs uh, as, as best we can get them scheduled and booked. We'll do that. Now, the first one at the top of the page happens to be the one we're going through right now, which is Sean Smith's declaration. So we went through all of this last night. You can, again, go to the website and read through it. It reads like, as I said last night, a Tom Clancy film because of the fact you have 
the federal government being penetrated oftentimes for decades by enemies, foreign and domestic, and they don't even know it. And that's oftentimes enemies foreign who have co-opted enemies domestic, former FBI, former CIA, people in the intelligence arena who have been co-opted by our enemies overseas. And this goes on for sometimes four decades before our government even catches it. So can you imagine what's happening now? And he goes into how this can happen. So with that being said, we went through that, and I'm sure you'll find that at frankspeech.com now, my interview with him last night. But let's go now to the appendix, because Kurt, attorney Kurt Olson tells me that this appendix, is there's a lot here. Now, as we look at the appendix, voting systems for Arizona, largest five counties by population, we may not be thinking much as you and I read this, but I bet you if we ask Sean why he put this in his appendix, we're going to hear a story that's quite fascinating. So the floor is yours. Tell us why you included Appendix 1 here, please. So it's important, uh, and the text covers it a little bit just prior to the appendices, but it's important for people to understand there aren't that many vendors for the voting systems that we're using in the United States. So I think, uh, I think the math works out to... Uh, roughly 80% of the U.S. population is using voting systems from these same vendors that are in the top five largest Arizona counties by population. The largest vendor in terms of the number of jurisdictions that are using the systems is ENS, ESNS. Right behind them is uh, Dominion Voting Systems, and then uh, I think Heart InterCivic, and then U Unison, and then Clear Ballot. So of those, Clear Ballot is the only one that is not, or I'm sorry, Heart InterCivic and Clear Ballot are not being used in those top five counties in Arizona, but they are using Dominion and ESNS and Unison. And, the, and I know there's been a lot of discussion about vulnerabilities and concerns with Dominion voting systems, but there's every bit as much reason to be concerned about every other computer-based voting system. So I wanted to identify the equipment that they were using so that I could then talk about the provenance, the composition of these voting systems, and the fact that every one of them is using computer systems that are manufactured and sourced with components from overseas. These are the, the if these people were not manufacturing our computer systems for Dell and HP and those companies at these factories in China and making the components going into them, they'd be in the People's Liberation Army. And some of the people are doing both, right? They have People's Liberation Army unit representatives on the manufacturing floor that are making decisions and giving direction to these manufacturers. Well, so, let's, stop, so, let, let's stop right there, make sure that sinks in. The PLA, the People's Liberation Army, Communist China, they're on the factory floor making decisions in, in the building of these components, the installation of these components overseas before those devices are shipped to the U.S. Yeah, yeah, and try to imagine, I mean, in the People's Republic of China, right, it's a completely centralized, top-down, it's a, it's a highly authoritarian uh, society. You don't have really above a certain level of economic activity. You don't have private companies, right? There's the veneer of privacy, but really they're either state-owned or state-controlled, or they have embeds in them from the People's Liberation Army and the Ministry of State Security and when they want something to happen in that factory, it happens. Because if it doesn't happen, the people who are running the factory will go to jail and so will their family or they'll just disappear. We've seen this with, with even some of the largest industrialists in the People's Republic of China have just disappeared off the face of the earth 
when they got too big for their britches or did something that was in contrast to what the, you know, standing committee members wanted or what, you know, Xi Jinping wanted. So, so the idea that we would have our voting systems for critical infrastructure, right, our computers for these critical infrastructure manufactured in factories in China and that there would be any way to secure them or that we could trust them, it's a ridiculous idea. And it only persists because the American public is not aware of all of these compromises and that sort of massive scale of the People's Republic of China's campaign against the United States. If people had any idea how much intellectual property has been stolen and compromised by the People's Republic of China, they would be up in arms about it, about why our, our public officials and government officials have not done something to protect all of that national treasure and the national security that depends on these systems. And that includes our voting system. So one of the reasons that Kurt asked me to, to write the declaration was to essentially document things that what for me were intuitively obvious and that everybody who's working in the environment I worked in, in national security with that exposure to cyber threats, they all understand this. They've seen the data. They understand how we're being attacked constantly and the nature of this massive nation state level campaign against us. And so, but what doesn't happen is those people don't normally get to focus on or look at our voting systems. When you're in the Department of Defense, you sort of assume there's somebody else competent and, and faithful handling domestic matters. As it turns out, that's not the case. Wow. All right. So is there anything specific you want to say about what we're seeing on the screen right here? Uh, let's see. Which appendix? Uh, no, I mean, I, you, you can look through that equipment. So the people can go look at all the information that I've learned about voting systems. I have learned from reading open source documents. And we have been collecting everything we can find and putting it up into Cause of America's library. So even if the documentation, the manuals, the test reports, the test plans, even if all this information is, is uh, you know, memory hold off the internet, off EAC site or anybody else's, we've archived it and we have backups at the Cause of America library. And we intended that so that people could go do the same kind of research for themselves. So when you look at these voting systems, it doesn't mean anything to you, right? If you, right. If you haven't done the research and you read, you know, ESNS, EVS 6.0.4.0, what does that even mean? What, what, what components and computers are part of that? And what you have to do is go into the documentation for the systems, into their uh, technical data packages or into the voting system test plans and reports, and you look up the specific components that are involved that they have used in these voting systems. Then you start to get to manufacturers and model numbers, and then you can go walk that dog backwards and see what components are going into those and then what where those components have been sourced from so that's the work that you see reflected in these appendices if you go from appendix one to appendix two you see some information about the ownership in some cases foreign in some cases covert uh you know that hides the ownership of the voting system vendors themselves like unison is actually foreign owned through a through a a uh, company that's held in the U.S. but is a subsidiary of a foreign management company. Um, ES&S is owned by a private equity group, and they don't have to divulge their investors. Dominion is owned by uh, primarily a private uh, equity group, an investment group, but they have assigned their patents as collateral on loans 
to uh, what is it? I think it's Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank okay. Corporation. Okay, and, and, and wait a minute, that right there, what you just said just there, sounds very similar to things that that uh, Sydney Powell has come on here and told me. Yeah, that's right. Well, she's not wrong. So uh, you can look up, you know, the once somebody finds the documents, they get spread among the election integrity community, and it's hard to get rid of them. They, you won't find most news talking about them, really hardly any news talking about them. Public officials deny them, but we have the documents. So, you know, we have the proof of this. Um, it's not just it's not just that their loan, their patents were used as collateral. It's that they were filed by Canadians. So they claim to be a U.S. company because they established um, a U.S. corporation in Delaware with other states as subsidiaries. But in fact, the founders were Canadian. Their patents were held in Canada. Right. And, and so you can see the sort of background that there's all this foreign ownership in the voting system companies. The next appendix is where I get into the known system vulnerabilities. So this is okay. Before I get into that, I want to stop you real quick because you said that that some of these companies we don't know who they are. We don't know who they are. They're hidden. So here's my and we and we and Sydney Powell in one of her interviews with me told me that she found a patent tied back to the Department of Defense for software on how to flip votes. Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, I haven't looked at that specific patent, but I think they're talking about um, what is asserted to be the basis of um, uh, oh, the name escapes me right at the moment. There, there are two uh, programs that were described as special access programs. They weren't something that I was exposed to because if they were, I wouldn't be able to talk about them. Um, but yeah, and let me uh, just explain to let me just explain to the audience. If, if someone has a been worked on or briefed on a special access program, that becomes classified information. They can neither confirm nor deny it, and they can't talk about it. Because he, And there are a lot of special access programs out there, and not everyone is briefed on the same ones. So if he had been briefed on it, had anything to do with it, he couldn't talk about it. But since he hasn't, he can talk about it. That's right. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm no longer in that environment. So it's fine for me to speculate as long as it's not about something I was directly involved in. So the, the programs that she was talking about are Hammer and Scorecard. Hammer is reported to be uh, essentially a large scale brute force password cracking system that would let you to get into uh, systems that were password protected. Scorecard is uh, a technological approach to access a backdoor that is reportedly built into the GEM system that is at the heart of a lot of our voting systems. So it's, um, you know, it's like it's like Java. You know, it doesn't matter which computer system you're using, you probably have some kind of Java runtime environment on it because so much <clears throat> of the backbone of functionality on websites and other programs used Java. It was this sort of kernel of technology and remember that when the computerized voting systems began they were it was a small subset of companies that were doing computerized voting systems and then they built this technology and licensed it out to other corporations and it proliferated so while you're looking at the outside of a voting system and the interface may look different and the the uh, you know computer systems or the scanners or whatever may look different at the at the core of that like a like an x86 processor from Intel at the core of that is this technology that is common across many multiple computer-based voting systems so that's the assertion in scorecard I haven't personally verified that 
Um, that's what this this declaration doesn't get into that. I get into really the things that are all public and open source. Now you brought up Hammer Scorecard. I didn't bring up Hammer Scorecard. It's interesting because it's not it's not something you hear a lot of people bring up, uh, either because a they don't really know about it or b uh, they don't want to talk about it. And one reason a lot of people don't want to talk about it is because I would say there are two reasons: either they had to work with it so they can't, or b they don't believe it is true. There's been a lot of people, even in the intelligence arena, who early on trot, called me, different people tied to the intel arena, so, oh, that's, that's all conspiracy theory. That's crazy talk, hammer scorecard. I'm thinking to myself, well, if it's crazy talk, why are you calling me about it? Why am I getting three or four phone calls from different people who I know tied to different intelligence agencies trying to convince me to quit talking about hammer and scorecard that it's crazy talk? I thought... Seems to be an awful lot of uh, protesting that me thinks thou protest is too much. So huh, they really went out of their way to try to destroy the idea that Hammer Scorecard was even something. But since you brought it up, what are your thoughts? Is it real or is it not real? Well, I would say I would say two things, Brandon. First of all, uh, it's the nature of compartmented. Compartmentation is designed to restrict access to information to protect it. There are lots of reasons to protect it. Maybe that the information or the technology or the capability is sensitive, like you don't want other countries to know that you have developed that capability because it would be, uh, you know, embarrassing or abuse trust or something or, like or, that. Or, or if it was used by our intelligence community to flip the votes and steal elections in other countries, and that same intelligence agency, which was taken over by Brennan and Obama and Clapper, just turned it on the American people. Could that be reason why? That could be a reason why. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to say was because sometimes technology is perishable. Like if you find out you can do it, then they can protect themselves against it. So you don't want them to even know. For example, like, you know, let's say we had built functionality into automobiles so that we could turn those automobiles off with remote commands. You wouldn't want somebody to know that we had the capability to do that because then they might not use the automobiles that we want them to use that we could turn off with remote commands. So there are a lot of reasons there, but the but regardless of the exact reason, the nature of compartmented information and compartmented operations is that it's restricted to a subset of people. Sometimes you're sitting right next to somebody else and you're cleared for different things. You know things they don't know. They know things that you don't know. And you're literally restricted from discussing those things with them. The other thing I would say about that, Brandon, is, you know, I've been around. I mean, I've I have seen some things. I've seen some things that that people think are not possible that I know for a fact are, and that, that, you know, I helped, I helped design or I helped operate. So, um, you know, a lot of things that people can't believe, uh, or that people don't believe because they lack imagination, and they haven't been exposed to what's possible. So, um, I have, so, a, yeah. I have a friend of mine that had 600 Intel agents answering to him until this past October when he retired, um, out of the U S Navy. Uh, and his his bio and your bios uh, are kind of overlap each other, um, and I should introduce you guys. Um, you you actually live rather close to each other, <laughs> but reality is, he would say to me, we've been friends for over 15 years. He said to me uh, the same thing you just said. He said many things that people think are fiction that's on TV or in movies. They think, oh, that doesn't exist. That's fiction. And he said, a lot of these things you see, they actually do exist. 
And he said, there are things that I got to see in my job, uh, you know, overseeing 600 people in the Intel arena uh, in, his, in his agency that he, that he was in, uh, subset of the military. Um, he even said I would get introduced to things I thought were fiction. <laughs> I go, wow, that actually exists. <laughs> he thought it was fiction. And then he would see, oh, wow, that's really capable. So again, the American people and other people will respond negatively to something and, and poo-poo it because they think it's just crazy talk. Well, there's a lot of technology out there. If they really knew what was going on, it'd blow their mind. Yeah, that's a fact. So let's talk about the, so let me ask you, do you believe, in your opinion, do you believe that since we've seen this merging of big government and big business, big government and big business merging, the public-private partnership that, that uh, Klaus Schwab is pushing with the Great Reset. Um, I've been writing about the public-private partnership or uh, the idea of corporate fascism, big government, big business since my second book in 95. And here we are. And Klaus Schwab is openly pushing the public-private partnership, big government, big business. There's a revolving door between those two groups constantly. Do you believe that there is any reason to know or any reason to be suspicious that some of these voting companies may actually have influence over them from the intelligence community or be working for front groups? You know, there are suppliers and people involved in these voting machine companies that are working with companies and contractors that are front groups for the intelligence arena. Or have they done their job so good, you don't know, but you have suspicions. Or some of the people that have come out of the intelligence arena, or maybe they didn't come out of the intelligence arena, they were somehow working on the periphery and the margins in some of these shadow companies and, and created corporations tied back to the intelligence arena. And those people, one, you know, one, one once removed, come out of those areas and go into the voting machine business, but they're really agents, if you will, uh, answering back to the intel arena. In other words, there seems to me, if we're talking the deep state, if we're talking having software to flip votes in countries overseas to do a color revolution, if this has all been turned on America and to control our elections, then what, I mean, obviously you would have to believe that our intelligence communities knew, know about it or involved, are involved at some level. So is there any inclination that some of these groups are controlled, infiltrated, or have subsidiaries tied back to them that are under contracts and they all work together, and these are really front groups for the intel? That's a lot. You packed, you packed a lot into that. So, so here's what I would say. Do you remember a couple of years ago there was, a, there was an Airbus? It was like, I think it was flying between, I don't know, France and Germany or somewhere in Europe and somewhere else in Europe, and the pilot uh, locked his co-pilot, his co-pilot got up to go use the lavatory, and when he got up, he locked him out, and yep. then he flew into the side of the mountain. Yep. So, so you got a guy there who killed himself and every passenger on board that aircraft. Um, it's hard to tell sometimes whether the pilot of, a, of an aircraft is operating on their own behalf or they're operating on behalf of the agency. What you're kind of asking me is, was the airline man, you know, was the airline company involved? Was the manufacturer of the aircraft involved? Who are all the, the parties? And I would say it's a very, very difficult prospect 
to ever get to the ground truth of that because there is so much complexity that trying to get to it uh, could consume every resource you have. And what you really need is you need systems that are not just resilient, but are, you know, to borrow uh, Nicholas or Nassim Nicholas Taleb's term, anti-fragile. You need systems that can't be corrupted. Because when you have systems like we have for our elections that are corruptible, where there's this vulnerability and they depend on procedural safeguards, where they depend only on the fidelity and competency of individuals in government office, I mean, you're, you're inviting disaster. This is the premise. It's not, just, it's not just people who are accidentally incompetent or who are disinterested or who are misled. Power corrupts, and we know power corrupts, right? This is Lord Acton and the premise of Federalist 51. And, and we lost sight of that. And, and because times were good, uh, we thought that they would continue being good. And we focused on our own business and let our government become increasingly centralized increasingly penetrated and compromised by corporations and by these uh, nonprofit institutions and whatever their web, their hydra of donors and influencers are. So if you ask me if it's possible for our uh, intel agencies or individuals within them to be implicated or involved or part of a conspiracy, of course it is, right? I mean, they, they have had insider threats that have been working for foreign nation states, why they would we would think that you couldn't have an insider threat that was working for themselves or working for cabal or working for you know a non-governmental organization? Of course they could. The central problem is not that possibility, it's having a system and tolerating a system when we're the sovereign. As the people, the elections belong to us, the government belongs to us. And we have tolerated this happening and now we have to we have to um, enforce our will upon our government and and reestablish that we are sovereign, and they will do our will, or or they will not be in power of any kind. Let me go back. If we're still on Appendix One, and I got I got to keep moving. But um, hey, Logan, no, I did not have anyone else scheduled. So if someone else scheduled a guest, I didn't do it. Um, e poll book. Um, E-poll book. Why did you mention the e-poll book? Because that's fascinating. I hear a lot of talk about the e-poll books and that, that this could be one way that there's internet access in the e-poll books that then are, is used to get into the machines, correct? Yeah, I didn't get to go into I start, I put that in that hook into the appendix uh, as sort of a placeholder for the future. But and this isn't in the declaration, but it's pretty easy to talk about. In the first place, the e-poll books are almost completely unregulated in the United States. So here, if you're in a voting center and somebody is looking up uh, who is a registered voter, whether they're allowed to vote, what their status is, all those kind of things, the, the voting center workers portal to the statewide centralized voter registration databases are these e-poll books. There's almost no regulation or, or accreditation. There's no certification of them. There's no testing of them. There's no government standards. Nobody is monitoring this. This is, you know, the answer to, you know, who is watching the watchers? Nobody. Nobody is watching these. We have no business using these. In the first place, they're computer systems, which are just as vulnerable and probably just as compromised as the voting systems themselves. 
But in the second place, there's no evaluation of them whatsoever, but they have gained and are increasing in widespread adoption. This is a glaring vulnerability. None of our public officials should be using these in the state that they're in. And when you the, say e-poll book, just so people understand, in the old days, we'd go in and the lady at the table would have, had this huge book, huge book, and you would be directed based on your alphabet, you know, A through E here and F through, and you go and you stand in line and she got this humongous book and you give her your name and she flips through the book alphabetically. Okay, house, okay, you live at, yeah, okay, and you can vote. What you're, now you show up, they just each have their own little laptop computers. That's the e-books you're talking about, which is now a laptop computer. Yeah, that's right. They could be on a desktop or a laptop or a tablet, but the concept is all the same. So it's convenient, it's efficient. We have no idea whether it is accurate, no idea whether there's any integrity or security in it. And all our indications from every state where they've done canvassing, and we did it here in, in Colorado too, is that is the answer is no, it's not accurate and it, it's not secure, right? The, the data is telling us something is very wrong with our voter registration. And, and so these devices, not only are they portals to that computerized information, that the poll workers themselves, the election workers, they have no capability to verify the accuracy of the information. Their only option is to either trust what's on the screen or not trust it. But then there's the problem of by making these systems able to access that statewide centralized voter registration system, every single one of those devices is a potential portal into that statewide voter registration system. And it's introducing connectivity into the voting center that could be used to, to do an island hopping attack or a bridge to so the like, voting system themselves. So the e-book so the e could, e could become a hotspot, like a hotspot, like an internet hotspot to, to then yeah. tap into the machine. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I'm doing this, this particular interview we're doing right now on my phone, and my phone is connected to my watch. Right. So if somebody said, well, is your, is your watch connected to the internet? No, it's connected to the phone and the phone's connected to the internet. So in some sense, no. And if you play semantic games, the answer is no. But the truth of the matter is your security of your network and all devices in it are only as secure as the weakest link. Wow. Pretty good picture for your phone, by the way. Um, all right, let's go to the, the next appendix two. Now, this is where you start getting into who owns these machines. Voting system vendor ownership. This is going right. to get really interesting. Tell me yeah, about Yeah, so the, the ownership here, now people will be surprised, I think, to see how much, I mean, it, there's more than this. I didn't get into the, into the uh, testing companies. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to digest. I'm sure there'll be more declarations. Uh, our team, our whole team is tired of reading the stuff I write because it's so long, but we're trying to document some of these things that we've discovered. So. So of those companies used in the top five largest counties by population in Arizona, and you're going to find these same companies, these same systems in use in most jurisdictions in the U.S., Unison is owned by this company, International Lottery and Totalizator Systems. I didn't even know that totalizator was a word, but, but it's part of their company name. Are they? Do and they really run lotteries? Yeah, they're, they're owned by a, a foreign national lottery management company. And the chairman uh, and CEO of that company has very close ties to People's Republic of China Communist Party leadership. So, you know, President Trump uh, prohibited use of Huawei 
and, and some other foreign, uh, in particular PRC companies, technology in US national security, in some cases in critical infrastructure in the United States, Huawei was one of them for good reason. This is a good example of uh, a PRC company, which is even publicly traded, and yet it has this, this dominating presence and influence from People's Liberation Army, and they do technology embeds through the technology that these guys are selling. In some cases, these companies are manufacturing technology that is based on intellectual property they've stolen from U.S. companies and are now selling back to the U.S., undercutting U.S. industry by selling us our own technology, but with embedded compromises in it. Good night. So we see that you say this, this voting company, how you say this, Unison Voting? That's right, Unison. So you're saying that this guy, uh, the, one of the owners, uh, one of the guys in the leadership, the chairman, has close ties to the People's Republic of China leadership. That's right. Okay, nothing to worry so, about there, right? Nothing to worry about there. Then we have what is known as ESNS, Election Systems and Software. Okay, uh, ownership is U.S. This one here was international. This company out of California. Okay. Um, this one's U.S. Private equity firm McCarthy Group, which does not disclose investors' information, including any other investments or financial interests, owns controlling interest in ESNS. So, so what do we? We don't really know much, then, huh? No. Well, we know something. So, so we kind of followed different paths to find out that they had uh, collateralized their patents. So, this is, you know, when you look at the fact check. So, so early on after the 2020 election, there was this talk about Dominion Voting Systems. You know, partly because we saw these unusual election results and in some cases extraordinarily implausible coming out of jurisdictions where they had used Dominion. We knew about the problem with the curling case in Georgia. So we had some of these indicators and people said, well, this is a Canadian company. And the fact checker said, no, 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 this is a U.S. company. Well, it was founded in Canada by Canadians. The patents were secured in Canada, right, in Toronto. And, um, and then they sold uh, controlling ownership of the company to a U.S. investment firm, Staple Street Capital. But because they're private investment, they don't have to reveal who their investors are. And that would be the end of the story, except that other financial disclosures came out about Dominion voting systems, patents that are used in their voting systems being um, collateralized. So used as collateral in loans, effectively turned over to HSBC, the uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation. And then also uh, that you had uh, investment from UBS Securities Limited in Dominion and that they were a subsidiary of UBS Americas under UBS Group AG, which is a Swiss company that had invested $400 million. In other words, they poured money into Staple Street and the collateralized loans for that appear to be uh, held by a Chinese-owned bank or Chinese-controlled, PRC-controlled bank, HSBC. So, so you, you start getting into, and these were, it's interesting because these were questions that some Democrat senators asked, I think it was in 2018, Senators Wyden and Klobuchar were asking about the ownership of these companies. And at the same time, the sector, uh, at the time, uh, what was she, I think she was, maybe a senator, and before that, uh, California AG, I think that's right, Kamala, Kamala Harris. Harris. Yeah. Uh, so she was talking about the demo of a voting system being hacked right in front of her. 
So in the same time frame, she's on video. These... She's on video saying that for the audience that doesn't believe what he's saying. We have the video of her saying it. That's right. So it was okay to talk about and question the ownership and the technological security of voting systems a mere four years ago. The same things that are verboten now that are, you know, malinformation, disinformation, misinformation that the government wants to shut you down for and create an agency to, you know, relentlessly pursue you and suppress your voice if you if you mention these things. Our own Democrat senators and representatives were talking about these things a mere four years ago. Wow. So are you saying that you, based on your research, you have been able to connect some of the ENS um, spider web back to the People's Republic of China as well? Uh, ESNS, no. So I, didn't, I haven't continued to uh, research ESNS. So you, you sort of need a financial investigator with access to certain kinds of databases to do that. I've done a little financial work, but it's usually through more public documents and not those financial databases. Okay. So I can't say for sure that ESNS has any foreign ownership or investment, but I know that McCarthy Group, that is the uh, largest controller of, of ESNS, um, that they don't disclose, have refused to disclose their investors. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't even be talking about the possibility of uh, you know technology used in what is an inherently public function. Yeah. This is a governmental function. We should not tolerate not knowing every single person and organization involved. I, I don't care if they made you know, I don't care if they made the screen protector on it. Nobody should be able to touch it without it all being exposed and naked. And the idea that we've allowed this to happen tells you everything you need to know. So to have a humongous it. voting machine, have a humongous voting machine company, and you have no idea who their investors are, that, and this is a basically a public utility used to pick our, our elected officials, that should just absolutely be against federal law. It should be against federal law, that's right. And anybody with any common sense at all should know that's not tolerable. And, and, yet, and, and if you're part of the elite so, and, and you get picked, to get into office, and you know this is how they pick it, once you get into office, you're not going to do anything to stop that. That's right. Yeah, you undermine your... It really it takes somebody... I think of uh, like George Washington's level of integrity, right? He, he basically could have done anything he wanted after winning the Revolutionary War, and what he said he wanted was to go home to his farm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's go now to Dominion Voting System. Tell me what you know about them. Uh, so Dominion Voting Systems is, says they're a U.S. company uh, because they have this uh, company incorporated in Delaware. Go to the screen, guys. States. Um, but it was founded in Toronto by Canadians, and the patents that they use in the voting systems in the United States were almost exclusively filed by Canadians. Uh, they've since been assigned to Dominion Voting Systems, the U.S. corporation, but you can still see that many of those patents are held um, and the trademark registrations are still held by Dominion Voting Systems Corporation of Toronto. Then you have, just like ESNS, you have controlling interest by a private investment firm that does not disclose its investors. But we've seen from these other financial filings that Dominion at the same time frame collateralized all its patents to the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation uh, in uh, to their Toronto office, 
at the same time that UBS Securities was investing $400 million in Staple Street Capital. So you see the, you see the rope adopt here? So, so it, it's that, you know, they, we hold the patents and we're a US company, but the trademarks are still in Canada. It's a banking corporation office in Canada that, that handled the patent collateralization to a foreign owned bank in Asia. And then $400 million came in from a different foreign owned bank subsidiary into Staple Street Capital, but they're totally, totally unrelated. That's the assertion. And when you say Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank, we're talking China, right? That's right. Yeah, HSBC. So. so right now we've already, so through your research, you're saying you have tied two of the three voting companies you've looked at back to China already. That's correct. Okay. Uh, then you went on to write about this one in late October 2020, at the same time the UBS AG was allowed by the People's Republic of China's Office of Financial Stability and Development Committee and the State Administration of Foreign Exchange to increase its ownership in UBS Securities China from 51% to 100%. Tell me about that. Well, it's only, it's so, so again, this is, you know, it's not like the United States where there's kind of free reign. I mean, we allowed Chinese owned and controlled corporations to be publicly traded on U.S. stock exchanges, really without even adequate financial disclosure. They're just lying to shareholders and capital investors. But it's not like that in China. In China, things are tightly regulated, right? So um, PRC's Office of Financial Stability and the Development Committee and the State Administration of Foreign Exchange get to decide how much of a corporation that operates or an entity that operates within People's Republic of China or Hong Kong, they get to decide how much of that can be controlled by the foreign corporation. So you have this Swiss parent bank, which is really kind of a conglomerate that operates underneath uh, the Swiss flag so that it doesn't have to reveal a lot of its operations outside Switzerland. Um, but, but they have this subsidiary that operates in China and handles financial transactions. For example, you had, um, you know, uh, the, the Bohai Rosemont Seneca, the Hunter Biden um, corporation that he helped start, they were brokering the sale, the investment in the sale of technology from Hennage's Automotive. So Hennage's Automotive, it sounds like, well, they just make automotive parts. No, they had some really critical vibration dampening technology that was used in U.S. national security systems. And I'm not going to say which ones, but this was exquisite advanced technology for vibration dampening which would allow you to operate systems at extraordinarily high speeds under load. And also vibration dampening affects your ability to silence and quiet systems. So you can understand how that might be important, right? If you're gonna have operations in a covert environment, you kind of want to be quiet about it and not announce your arrival. Right. So, so Bohai Rosemont Seneca was brokering the investment of Chinese corporations and firms in Hennage's automotive and they needed a firm in China that would handle some of the financial transactions. So that's the type of transaction that you would see handled by a company by like uh, UBS uh, Securities. So UBS Securities LLC, I think is the, is, uh, yeah. So UBS Securities LLC or UBS Securities China, UBS, the Swiss parent company was allowed to increase their ownership of that from 51% to 100%.
they were the only banking institution that was foreign owned that was allowed to do that. And that happened at the same time that the, that the Dominion patents were collateralized through HSBC Bank office in Toronto at the same time that UBS $400 million investment was coming into Staple Street Capital. But again, these are all totally unrelated. There's definitely absolutely not a quid pro quo happening here where a foreign nation state is investing funds with the private investment fund that is controlling the voting system vendor that has collateralized its patents and is the second largest voting system vendor in U.S. elections. Yeah, of course not. Ah, no, no way. All right, Appendix 3 in our closing minutes. Not a single one of the CVE listed known vulnerabilities for hardware software identified in this appendix were noted or analyzed in any certification testing report for the respective voting systems. So tell us what it is you're trying to show folks here. So uh, the CISA advisory that recently came out as yes. a result of the Holderman Declaration, so that advisory, it, there, there's nothing there when you follow the links, but eventually at some point, hopefully they'll have what are called common vulnerabilities and exploits. This was a database originally started by the MITRE Corporation, the Federally Funded Research and Development Corporation that advises federal government and agencies on cybersecurity, among other technological issues. They're a massive engineering, you know, sort of consulting firm that's a nonprofit. Tremendous expertise. So these guys started CVE details or CVE uh, as part of their cybersecurity consulting and advisement to the government. You can go and look at this database and it's common vulnerabilities and exploits. So these are things that we know are vulnerable and have been exploited or exploitable in computer hardware and software. So as a tester, when I would look at a voting at a, at a system in the Department of Defense that was under test, the very first thing that I would ask the developmental testers in the program office that were building the system is, okay, show me all your prior testing, show me all your known vulnerabilities and how you have tested and demonstrated that you've mitigated those vulnerabilities. You're not going to operational testing, which is like the final hurdle, until I know you've handled all of those things. Those aren't even the testing we would do or that I would oversee, those are the testing you have to do as a, that's your, your ticket to enter operational testing. Those are the basics. So I started looking at the voting system, test reports and test plans, and I realized they weren't even talking, even though they're using these commercial off-the-shelf systems, they're using commercial software and hardware, they weren't even talking about these known vulnerabilities. So I wanted to make a listing of just some of the vulnerabilities in the software and hardware components that are used in these voting systems that are, you know, our major vendors are bringing and using in U.S. elections. This list is not, this is a subset, and it is thousands and thousands and thousands of known vulnerabilities. And they haven't tested to any of them to verify that they're mitigated. Wow. All right, so is there anything else as we scroll down the page here? Is there anything else that I need to bring out? Um, out of that appendix, I would say, you know, we can we can leave it at that. It's a long list. And uh, if you look at, I mean, just even one of them, you know, using Windows Server 2008 on a voting system, when it has over 2,200 known vulnerabilities in the CVE database, and they haven't verified that any of those vulnerabilities have been addressed. Well, look at this one. What I just went to Appendix Four. 
the manufacturer uh, or origin for voting system components. What is the, what is this component? Because it looks you said the motherboard is manufactured in China. Yeah, most of the systems are manufactured in China. So there was something there was a lot I didn't know before I started researching these individual systems. I'll tell you one that bothers me even more than this. So there's a module called a trusted uh, platform module that is supposed to verify the security of components in a computer system. It's called a TPM, a trusted platform module. All of the trusted platform modules in these US vendors voting systems were manufactured in the People's Republic of China. That would be like every single lock we use to secure a facility or a bank in the US, if every one of them was manufactured in the People's Republic of China, you've got to think that somebody at some point would say, well, that's not good. That's a bad idea. How can we tolerate that? But on our voting systems, this entire regime that is busy assuring the public that our systems and elections are secure, and they don't have a single person in them that says, wait a second, all these computers were built in China or they were built of Chinese components or both. Maybe that's not a good idea. And none of them have done that. Instead, they're telling you and me and everybody else that the systems are secure. Well, you can see it. You can see it right here on your report. People's PRC, People's Republic of China, PRC, People's Republic of China, uh, motherboard manufactured, People's Republic of China, memory manufactured, People's Republic of China, motherboard manufactured of this Dell part, PRC, People's Republic of China, or Malaysia. You keep going down there, People's Republic of China. Every time you turn around, there's another reference to the People's Republic of China. Yeah, I was actually grateful to find a couple manufactured outside the People's Republic of China. And then inevitably, though, I would find components on those systems that were manufactured in China. Even, even so, the processors, for the most part, are manufactured in the United States. The central processing units are mostly Intel. And they're mostly manufactured down in Chandler, Arizona. But then I looked into the employees that are that are employed there, and I found that they had hundreds of foreign engineers on H-1B visas, including from the People's Republic of China. All right. So how what are your thoughts in the last minutes here? What are your thoughts about the fall election coming up 2022? I mean, I think if we had free and fair elections, the American people, a lot of Republicans, Democrats, independents, People who probably never voted in their life will get registered to vote. And they have had their, their taste of communism. They're done with it. I think we would have the biggest morning in America we've seen since who knows when. Uh, uh, because I, I, I think there are a lot of people that voted for Biden that would never do it again. Um, I think it would just be, I mean, this has been, this has really awakened a lot of people. But what do you think is going to happen with the fall election based on everything you know about these corrupted machines? Well, nobody, ever who had, nobody who ever had ill-gotten power relinquished it, right, voluntarily. That's the first thing. So, so every tool that, that anybody who's been involved in it, these systems, as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're not only insecure, but the people who've been involved in making sure that this is our architecture for voting and elections, they can't be trusted for anything, right? I don't, I don't want to hear any more assurances from them. I want to hear about their resignations and their investigation, uh, you know, for prosecution. Something's very, very wrong with this. So w- what are we gonna see? I mean, the, everything is worse in the country. I- if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can't miss it. 
Yes. Right? What we're seeing as a result of a lack of accountability of public officials and the greatest festival of stupid ideas ever witnessed in any country in modern history, all being tested out. Now, I, you know, I, I hope it's just that they're stupid and not that they're deliberately trying to destroy the country. Either way, if we had a free and fair election this fall, I've got to think this would be a damning referendum on all of that. What I'm afraid of is that they're going to double down and the people who've been in control are going to try to maintain control regardless of what that takes. So you can see what they did with 2000 mules. We're just getting started at uncovering the fraud. I mean, that was only five. Well, some of know, these people are parents. some of these people are going to go to prison for life if they are removed from power and the investigation start. They should. Yeah. And if they were, you know, if they were involved in a foreign, in a, you know, supporting or if there was involvement of a foreign power, then it's treason. Right. And they should be tried for treason. They should be given due process. But if the evidence is there, then they deserve a traitor's fate. Absolutely. What's your website, Sean? Uh, you can find us at causeofamerica.org in the library there, by the way, the, the team has been doing immense work. So the library there is now over 3,000 documents of uh, voting systems and election integrity. We're going to be building a law library of all the election integrity cases that, that attorneys will be able to access once we've gotten them cleared. So causeofamerica.org, you'll find a lot of great information there, and it's growing every day. Great. Thank you for all you're doing, Sean. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brandon. Take care. You too. Sean Smith checking in. Before we go, look at the screen, folks. Again, how do we bring all this to you? Uh, because you support us. Here's a great way to support us. Father's Day's coming up. Get your slippers. I love these slippers. Normally, $139.98, now only $49.98. Plus, you get Mike's book. Buy one, get one sale. Still going on. I don't know how much longer it'll go on. Take advantage of it. Buy some of this stuff for wedding gifts, housewarming gifts, kids going off to college this fall. Go ahead and buy it. Store it away for them, because in a few weeks, you're going to need it. Great gifts, great costs, you know, the great, great price and it supports this network. Be sure to use that promo code L77, support Mike's work. He's out tonight on business. I'm sitting in for him. Thank you so much. The Worldview Report comes up and then Brandon House Live starts tonight and I've got a slate of people, including Candace Taylor, who ran for governor in Georgia. Talk about voter fraud there. Talk to you then, take care. You're watching Lindell TV.